Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. And so we are reaching the end of our Church Hurt series. So this whole series, Getting Right When the Church is Wrong, has been a real eye-opener. I've received so much feedback on social media and in my email box, and it has sparked so much and and brought up so much for so many of you. And the overwhelming feedback that I have received is that you all are really glad that someone is talking about this because what I keep hearing is that no one ever talks about this. No one ever talks about this. It just keeps getting swept underneath the rug. But the feelings are there. The hurt is real. Um, the experiences are very much valid. And so much so that out of this process, a new coaching program. So Walking Well, the six-week live coaching program with me to help walk you through the steps of recovery from church hurt. And this, these are the steps that I that I took. And so if you want to know more about that, you can head to readytobelieve.com to learn more about that. Um, you can also find that information on my personal website, which is drshante.com forward slash walking hyphen will. Now, as we bring this series to a close, because so many people have stories and I have found other ways to to weave them into the content that I share, whether it's via social media or through my email list. But in terms of the podcast itself, we have to, to bring this series to a close because honest to goodness, given all of the experiences that I've heard, we could be here till June <laughs> talking about these <laughs> issues. And it, that's unfortunate, but it's the truth. And so we are landing this plane today. And in thinking about how I would anchor this series, the individual that I brought to the show today is the first person that I thought of when I thought about this topic, because he is one of the few pastors that I know that actually has education and training in not only pastoral care, but in counseling services and providing counseling to parishioners. And this is key because Often the experiences of church hurt that I have heard have been a result of people who are just ill-equipped and ill-trained to try to speak to some of the very real issues that, that people are contending with. And you have actually heard about this person, but you haven't heard from him. So if you remember, we had Reverend Naomi Mitchell on the show and she gave her testimony about how God had just taken her husband, Joel, from a miry clay, I'm joking, and had molded him into <laughs> molded him into the man that that God had for her. And it is her husband, Pastor Joel Mitchell, who was currently pastoring at Morgan Park Baptist Church. Welcome, Dr. Mitchell, to the show. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. God, uh, God bless you, Dr. Shante. It is indeed a privilege and a pleasure to be on sharing with you today. And yes, I, I agree. I married up when I married Reverend well, Dr. All right. Mayor, so, so I'm all right with that. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely okay with that intro. Hello, somebody. And 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 the word of, of God is, is blessed. Well, I, as they say in the church, as, as you ministers, I want to say, I won't keep you long. But I do want to jump right into how did we get here? And by here, I mean... Church is one of those places that people go to expecting hope and healing and help. And more times than we are willing to talk about out loud, 
people wind up leaving the church because of the church, broken, full of shame, full of doubt, full of just heartbreak, because it's such a disconnect from what they thought church was going to be for them. And so I know that you are are no stranger to church hurt. So can you just speak a little bit about how it is that we we get here? Amen. And I heard the intro. And yes, there are so many different avenues that we can take to address this very, very important yet complex issue. And let me start here. I once had a pastor who said that God could have used any form or vessel that he wanted or that he chose or that God chose, excuse me, to to proclaim or deliver God's word. He could have written his word on clouds. He could have placed his word in song. Yet God used these, what does the word say? Clay jars. God uses fractured and frail people to share his word. And I think if we start from that place, Mm -hmm. we can then offer grace to not only the person that has been hurt, but then understanding or give grace to the person that, that administered the hurt. Because when we can realize that we are all fractured and frail individuals, we are prone to hurt one another because of our limited abilities and capacities. And so I am not making excuse for churches and for pastors that have caused hurt and pain to our congregations and to our members and to our people. But again, just the understanding that that, that pastors and leaders are limited. And so this is really the, the point of departure for me and why I felt it was so important to, to go into this field of study. I've been in the field of social services for over 25 years. And Dr. Shante, I am so glad that God allowed me to go into the field of social services before he revealed to me my calling as a minister. Mm. And when I say that, I say that because in all of my training as as a person in social services, I was not a, a, a licensed social worker, but I was a clinical case manager. I administered the depression scales. I did the assessments. And one of the rules that we adhere to in the world of social social services and social work is that you minister and serve whoever is in the chair, Mm. who's in front of you in the chair. That's who you serve. There is no room to bring your baggage. There's no room to bring your biases. There's no room to, to bring your limited scope and understanding. And so therefore, when we minister and we meet to whomever is in the chair, we see people in all of their humanity. And I think that is the place where we should start. Oh, Pastor Joel, you don't have me bring out the tambourine early. Y'all hear hear the the, the tambourine in the background. 
let me kind of pull some of this out a little bit because there are some things that I think are really important in this conversation that you said. One, the starting place that we are are broken vessels. We are fractured and frail and flawed individuals. And that's who God has chosen to, to proliferate the gospel. And listeners, this is important because a lot of time when we walk into a church, we're making a lot of assumptions about who's behind the pulpit. We just kind of readily assume that this is somebody who, quote unquote, has it together, <laughs> that's done the mm-hmm. inner work, that doesn't have that, that has resolved all of the, the baggage from the past or the mommy issues or the daddy issues or the abandonment issues or the attachment issues. We just assume that if, if the man is behind the pulpit or the woman is behind the pulpit and they've got on the, the cloak or the cloth or the collar, then they must be all right, you know, that that all of those those issues have been addressed. And that is a massive assumption. That is a massive exactly. assumption. It's and, a myth. More, <laughs> and a myth. <laughs> and a myth, because more times than not, that's just not the truth. And what Pastor Joel is, is alluding to is the fact that Sometimes because those issues have not been resolved, because though we see evidence of the fractures, we see evidence of the work that has not yet been done. And so one of the things that we need to do and one of the assumptions that we need to stop making is that there is perfection in the pulpit. There is not there from the pulpit to the door. (laughs) There there is no perfection. There was only one. He came, he suffered, he died, he rose again, and now he's still at work on our behalf. But that's not what's happening in the church. The second thing that I want to pull out is this background that you have about serve who's in the chair, okay? Whatever their needs are, whatever their hurts are, whatever they are struggling or contending with in that moment, however they need to be assessed or supported, you serve who's in the chair. And what I wrote down as you were saying that was, I wonder how many of our pastors are serving who's in the pew. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the mm-hmm. church hurt stories that I have heard have been from people, from pastors who were serving who was filling the pocketbook or serving who was in the pulpit or serving who was in on the deacon board and what have you, but not really serving the needs of the people. Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. And by that, whomever is in the chair, it is. And so let me give a little more background. I work for an organization called Human Resources Development Institute. We provided services. Now, my 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 history is varied. I've worked with just about every target population beknownst to man in terms of social services, from wards of the state, at-risk youth, troubled teens, you know, all of it. But it was in this moment that I worked with the Human Resources Development Institute, and we worked with people who were triply diagnosed with mm. such abuse, mental health illness, and HIV and AIDS. And so as a byproduct of that, in the 90s, the majority of people that we contacted or we served due to their substance abuse and due to their HIV diagnosis, um, many of them were same gender couples. Many of them were gay, homosexual, 
And and not only that, back in the 90s, HIV and AIDS was then considered the the present day leprosy. Mm-hmm. And so you had this group of outcasts who were coming to us. And, and to be honest, the reason why I went into pastoral care as opposed to initially going into licensed clinical social work is because licensed clinical social workers have certain boundaries that they can't cross. However, as a, per, as a pastoral care counselor and, and provider, I was able to actually cross boundaries. And so let me be clear. By that, I'm saying many of the people we served when they had HIV and AIDS or they were gay or they had all of these other ailments that people uh, that they were shunned for, they were outcasts. And many of them were, were turned away from their churches, turned away from their families, turned away from their friends, turned away from their loved ones. Many of them had not even received a hug, a handshake mm. or any of that in years. And so what the Lord was telling me even at that moment was that in my role as a pastoral care provider, I could cross that boundary and show and share the love of Christ with someone by giving them an embrace, by shaking their hand, by loving on them. I believe in my whole heart that the gospel is true when Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. The double love command is is what I believe is what God is calling all of us to do. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, that pardon me, The because we're going in the same direction. That commandment to love. So I'm sure you have a stack of church hurt stories to, to, to rival my <laughs> stack of church hurt stories. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest, uh, so many women, young girls, the ones that was dragged in front of the congregation to, to confess, you know, her quote unquote sin of pregnancy. I hate that misnomer because it is a misnomer. The Bible clearly says what children are to the Lord, that they are precious to him, that they are a heritage, that they are a blessing, that any man who has children is, that he he's blessed. So in every aspect of, of scripture, children are seen as blessings, but in the church, in God's house, it was, can you imagine coming into or stepping into this new role of motherhood with this anchor of shame, you know, kind of hovering over your head. And so when you talk about being able to cross those boundaries into pastoral care, what happens there? Where's the disconnect? Even Jesus, when the Pharisees had had dragged the woman out into the street to stone her, saying she was caught up in adultery. Mind you, they didn't bring the man, but they they drug Mm -hmm. her out there and said, stone her. Jesus said, "Mm -mm, not on my watch. We're not doing this today. So how do we get to those places where instead of embracing in love and and living out that double command of love that we get to these places where we're actually shaming and making examples of quote unquote members in our church and those rules are not even universally applied especially when you're talking about other genders yeah i think we and i'm so glad as i as i heard your intro and and as you talked about your ministry 
your ministry focuses on wholeness and yes. well-being. Yes. The church has to come to grips with the fact that we are both spiritual and sexual, period. Period. There is no dichotomy of the two. We are spiritual beings. We are sexual beings. We are whole beings. And, and this is, and not to go off on a tangent, but this whole separation is some Western theological dynamic that we are not, that we're not even, that's not even in our original DNA. You hear people say all the time, we're psycha, summa, numa, we are mind, body, spirit. But over in the Eastern culture where our African ancestors come from, it's just our soul. We are just whole individuals. And yeah. so in our churches, we have divided the, the spirituality from the sexuality and, and never the two shall meet. And so that's how it's so easy for us churches to talk about what it means to be saved, what it means to love the Lord, what it means to, to be chaste and all of these legalistic terms and not have conversations with our children about their bodies having conversations with our children about sex. It's been said a million times before. If we don't learn how to start talking about sex and, and things like that in the church, we're going to learn it from other places. And, and, and oftentimes when girls or young boys are seeking love, like we're talking about, they're seeking it from individuals who don't necessarily love them or have their best interest in mind. But they're looking for love, and so therefore they may enter into some very challenging situations. I find it, it hugely ironic and, and just outright shameful that the church, we don't want to talk about children, but every Sunday a baby is getting blessed. You oh, know, well. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's happening. You know, people are having you know, sex. And so until we're able to remove the shame and start having these conversations, yeah. I mean, Naomi and I, we work with couples and, and it starts very early from people who were trained about sex and just having the wrong information about sex. And then the churches are trying to act like it doesn't exist or like, you know, it needs to be hidden. We need to have open, honest conversations and dialogues and understand that no sin is greater than the other. And we need to stop Ooh. this travesty of, of shaming our girls and, and making them feel less than or making them feel other when it is oftentimes men in this hyper, you know, masculine, you know, patriarchal society that are taking advantage of our young girls. So you can't have it both ways. Does that make sense? Listen, I'll tell you this. You hit a tambourine in my hand. People think I'm joking when I say I have this tambourine, but it sits right on my desk. Brother, you can give the benediction because you just preached the whole word. <laughs> Not only is there the hypocrisy, but two things I want to point out here. The sex education that most people receive, most, most people in the black church is don't do it. And if you do do it, you are impure. You are, you know, less than, you know, true love waits and, and that sort of thing. And abstinence education. And I, so let's take the church out of it. Abstinence education. Listeners, go do your due diligence. I'm never going to tell you something that cannot be independently verified. Does not work. 
<laughs> it does not work. You know, that whole just don't do it without having real conversations about here are the emotional implications of a choice like this. Here are the spiritual implications of a choice like this. Here are the physical implications of a choice like this and, and make a personal assessment. And we can't even talk about things like birth control because it's like, I'm not endorsing and I'm not condoning. And I'm not saying that those are easy conversations to have with young people, but to pastor Joel's point, don't think they're not having those conversations. If, if you're not having it with them, they're getting that information from somewhere. And so to act like these things are not occurring and then the hypocrisy of the fact that the people that are in the congregation having sex, but it didn't result in pregnancy or it did result in pregnancy and then went off to the abortion clinic. Oh, we can't have that conversation either. And to Pastor Joel's point, and this is something that I, I wholeheartedly believe and endorse about God. God deals in truth the whole mm -hmm. truth. And so if you are attending a church and in that church, we can't talk about truth, then that's a red flag. There's an indication that, you know what, something is amiss. And something else that you said that I wrote down here is the disconnect between not only how we treat a lot of women and young girls, but the disconnect between how churches tend to be exclusionary, meaning if you don't fit into this very narrow sliver of acceptable criteria and characteristics, you can't sit with us. And Jesus mm -hmm. said, come to me, all uh, who are hey, weary hey. and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come to me, you heterosexuals. Come to me, you pure and chaste, virginal young ladies come to me, you know, who are walking on water down by the creek. He didn't say any of that. He did not say that. And the issue that the church folks of his time had with him was the fact that what is he doing consorting with them? Why is, why mm. is he sitting with them? And so how do we bridge that gap between being more inclusive of the very people that Jesus was like drawn to a magnet to, but those seem to be the very folks that seem to sit on the margins and the outskirts of our churches. Yeah, we, we have a good history of doing that. And what I mean by that is for my doctoral work, the title of my thesis was it's more than just the blues mm. reshaping the biblical and theological understanding of depression in the black community. And so in that thesis, I focused on two things. One, to really explain what depression was. And so I used biblical characters because in the black church, we love us some David. And so if you can look at Psalm 42, and it really, it really reads as a case study of someone who may have symptoms of depression, if you walk that text, you will see some very similarities or, you know, to what is listed in probably what's now the DSM four or five or six, wherever they are now. It was like the five when I did my thesis. And then the other piece outside of explaining and understanding, you know, depression and how if it could happen to somebody like a precious, you know, biblical character like David, then who are we that it might not happen to? But then the second piece of that was how do we begin to dismantle the stigma that's mm -hmm. associated with people who are other? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so for that, I utilized and did a case study on the Gadarean demoniac. And can I pause for a moment to say, now, if the Bible then labeled you and called you a name, come on through here. They didn't even give a brother a name. They called him a demoniac. Right. They didn't even take the, take a minute to say what his real name was. They banished him. They excluded him. They put him in the, in, in the graveyard where he enchained him. They excluded him expelled him from community and then look what jesus did jesus crossed the river he crossed over to to be in relationship with him what was the first thing jesus did jesus at least asked him his name legion right (laughs) yeah but but he wanted to get into a conversation with him so he crossed over he talked to him he he brought him back into fellowship he brought him back into community. And then at the end of that scripture, the man, the, it said the man was clothed. I know I, us black folk like to say clothed in his right mind, but it said, no, he was sitting down. He was clothed, meaning he put some clothes back on and he was in his right mind. So churches, what I'm trying to say is we need to follow that example of Jesus. Instead of excommunicating people, we need to cross over build relationship and bring them back into community so that then we can begin to minister to what they need. Amen. Listeners, here's something that I want you guys to understand. Not only did did Pastor Dole just make this very plain, but the subtext here and in the Bible is that it is human nature to expel, to remove, to push away things that we cannot control. And so this man that was possessed of the demons or whatever, he was something that someone who could not be controlled. And a lot of the complaint and a lot of the hurt that I hear from people who have had lengthy church experiences is how they feel manipulated or how they felt controlled and that they were not free to have conversation. They were not free to have dialogue. It was this way or the highway. And that's, here's the bottom line, listeners. That's not biblical. That's not how Jesus operates. And this is a touchy subject because I have left my church of, of 30 years. So the, the church that I grew up in and, you know, all of that, I have since moved on. I moved on in January and, a, and I have been very vocal <laughs> and transparent about why I left and the oppressive dynamics that were in that church and where people are struggling right now. Those who remain are those who are like, yes, you're right. You're not wrong. It is oppressive. It is wrong. It is misogynistic. It is all of those things. And yet, where do I go from here? Because we are also hardwired for love and belonging. And it's like, even though this is toxic, at least I belong here. So how do you speak to those people who recognize that they're in a situation that is ungodly, <laughs> you know, not to say that the church itself, but I'm saying that that it, it leadership matters. And so if they're underneath leadership that that enforces policies and ways of, of being and doing 
that are contrary to the word of God. And yet, because they've been there so long or their family members still go there, they feel stuck. What do you say to them who are, are wrestling with where to go and what to do in that situation? So I am no stranger. My wife and I, we're no stranger to, you know, church hurt. And we have had to, you know, leave several, you know, congregations in order to live out what we believe is our calling. And and that's very difficult because for many of us, and I'm, I'm young, I'm liberal. Uh, well, I guess I'm kind of old when I make this reference. But, you know, many of us have that. You remember that TV show Cheers? Yes. And, and, <laughs> and so many of us have that Cheers kind of mentality is that the, the theme song said, sometimes you want to go where, where everybody, everybody knows your name. And it's a community of people, but not as wrong that I'm chastising anyone who drinks or, you know, has a glass of wine or anything like that. But the thing is, they were singing that every you sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, but they were in a bar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So so that's not necessarily the healthiest place to be where everybody knows your name and just because they know your name there that doesn't necessarily mean that you all stay there well but you stated we we yearn for community because god has made us communal beings and sometimes it's fearful to launch out so to that person who is is trapped in a situation where they are not being nurtured, they're not being cared for, they're not being loved, if they are feeling oppressed, that is not of God. The the spirit, the, the word lets us know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. Yes. You know, but again, many of us find ourselves in those types of situations where it we feel trapped that we feel like we can't leave. So I'm gonna say it like this. I'm gonna say first second and third pray pray ask god if if it's time for you to leave ask god to to send people into your life where you can have good counsel and then ask god you know what his will is for your life because just because we grew up in a ministry that does not necessarily mean that's the 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 place where we end our ministry and so therefore pray and ask god and then a couple of things may happen. You you may see some insight for you to change things within. But if you don't see uh, inroads to change things within, then ask God where where he would have you to go so that you can live out your calling. Our time is short. Our time is limited. We don't have all day to, to, to mess around and just see and wait and hope that somebody's going to change. Sometimes God is is is. If he showed you those things, if he's revealed those things to you, then maybe he's telling you that you might have to leave and be the change. And it's scary. I get it. When Naomi and I left our first church, we took on the role of Abraham and Sarah. God just told us to go. He didn't give us a, a compass, a clock or, or, you know, or a calendar. He just said go. And it was very fearful. But we knew and we had peace in our minds and in our spirits that God was leading us somewhere. And sometimes it may take a minute. We we searched 
for another church home for about a year. Mm. And so we searched, we visited churches, some we liked, some ministries we just couldn't get with. And the Lord led us to the place where he would have for us to serve. And the thing about it, Dr. Shante, when we got to that church and we went several times and we had several conversations with not just Naomi and I, but even with our children, after we had conversations and after we visited, this one Sunday when they opened the doors of the church, the whole family got up. Wow. And we walked the aisle because we knew we had found home. And it took some time. It was scary. But God led us to a place where we could, each and every one of us, could live out our calling, could use our gifts, and we could be celebrated, and we could serve. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, thank you so much for saying that. Because listeners, here's the bottom line. Yes, you want to go where everybody knows your name. You know, sometimes people stay in bad relationships with Leroy because, well, I know Leroy and, you know, we've been at this for 10 years and I've already invested so much into the relationship. But if Leroy ain't the one for you, you're going to have to leave Leroy alone. Um, And the same thing with the church, you know, there's a a scripture and uh, the exact references is escaping me. But where Paul is saying, in the beginning, I gave you milk instead of meat, because you weren't ready for that. You were not ready for for solid foods. And I think that sometimes God allows us to come to churches to to get milk, to get some formula, mm-hmm. to, get, to get a foundation, to get our, our, our strength and what have you, just like you go through elementary school or, and you get through high school. But if, at some point, if you wish for, for deeper education, for more concentrated education, for higher education, you are going to have to leave high school and go on to to a different environment that is vastly different from what you're used to. And you keep emphasizing the part about the calling. And that's really the bottom line, listeners. And in many churches, especially black churches, they would say things like, oh, well, you can't get in on grandmama's coattail, meaning that you had to come to God for yourself. Likewise, if you have a calling on your life, you can't talk about, well, my mama and, you know, well, my daddy and, and well, this and that. You know, I, I was I was there since I had ashy knees when we're talking about your specific calling on your life and things that you have been specifically called and set out and set apart to do. That's something that God has designated for you. That's your mm-hmm. assignment. And so your assignment may not be tethered to, you know, the church of, of that you've been a part of and, and grew up in and and all of those things. And here's what's important. And I think that that Pastor Joel will will agree with me in this. Just because you leave a church doesn't mean you left out on a broomstick. I mean, you can still have relationship with people. You can still have fellowship with people. I'm sure, Pastor Joel, you and Naomi have friends that you all have have met in other churches and you still continue and remain friends with them. Oh, yeah, it's it's actually and I was going to say that because one of the things that I talked to Naomi about was not only is it important to arrive well and join well, but it's also important to leave well. That's right. And so to that point, you don't have to give a a long letter of departure, but you can have a conversation and say, I feel called, you know, to go and, and live out my calling somewhere else. And you can leave well. You can leave with relationships intact. You can leave with, you know, relationships Again, not having to burn bridges. 
when we are adult about it and mature in our Christian faith, then like you're saying, oftentimes you don't even have to bring the other person into it. You can just say, God is calling me to go. That's it. And so then therefore, because I, I like how you were setting it up, because when we get to the pearly gates and God has given you a call and you haven't answered the call, what are you going to say? Oh, they wouldn't let me? Mm. Well, no, You if they wouldn't let you, then you go where you can. Because them not letting you is not letting you off the hook from from adhering to the call that God has on your life. And listeners, I, as we bring this to a close, because man, I'm passionate about this topic. Um, But as we bring this to a close, I want to point out something that's very key. And another reason why I thought that Pastor Joel was the perfect person to speak to this particular series and, and these issues. So as you all recall that Joel's wife is also a minister and I cannot tell you how many times and, and the church that I left, the thought of a woman being in the pulpit was sacrilegious. It was blasphemy. It was unheard of. And so many women have been told, you ain't been called. You ain't been called. You know, literally men telling women what God has told these women that they ought to do. And and so if God, ladies, has called you to preach, if God has called you to teach, if God has called you to lead, that's it. That's all. God said it. You believe it. And you take him at his word because saying like Adam, well, you know, this woman you gave me, well, this church I had grew up in, well, the pastor that you had led me to at some point when you are ready for, for the real meat of God's word and you're talking about discernment, you have to be able to distinguish the voice of God from the voice of man, from your own insecurities, from your own fears. And if God has called you out to go and do something out of assignment, like he called Philip to go to, to one person out in the desert somewheres, then you have to have the wherewithal and the, the obedience to go regardless of what your culture of origin or your your church may be saying to you, you have to ultimately defer to the voice of God. That's my strong recommendation. Amen. Amen. And, and you know, that is a point of contention in so many, in so many of our churches. But if God has called you to go, you have to go. And then, and we've matured some even in that because that is definitely a source of church hurt for many women, for yeah. many sisters. And, and because that, that dynamic is still so prevalent in so many churches. And so we've had to make the decision to heed the voice of God on our lives above anyone. And so if you don't mind, I know we are closing, but I just I just want to give, you know, the 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 listeners a word. I preached on Resurrection Sunday. He is risen, Matthew 28, verses one through 10. And that thing wrapped up 
and there was so much information, but it wrapped up when the Marys, the Mother Mary, mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene, I call them Mary Mary, when they came, <laughs> when they came to the tomb, the angel told them, what are you looking for? He is risen. Then he said, go and tell the disciples that he is risen. And they were obedient when they said, when the angel told them to go and tell the disciples that God had risen. However, the thing that blew my mind in that text was because they had been obedient to the call that the angel had given them. The text says, as they were on their way, they met Jesus. And Jesus in that text said, go and tell the brethren that I am risen. Now I'm going somewhere because that word brethren in the Greek is used for both men and women. So Jesus was saying, not just go tell the disciples. He was saying, go tell everybody. And when Jesus said, go tell everybody, Jesus was telling them to go and proclaim the gospel. He was telling them to go and proclaim the word. He was going to tell them to go in and preach to tell them that I am yet alive. And is that not the gospel? Is that not what we are called to do to tell a dying world that we serve a living Christ? And God told these women. And so I'm sorry for wherever you may line up, but I line up with Jesus. And when Jesus called these women, these were the first people to proclaim the gospel. And if Jesus could entrust, well, if God could entrust his seed to a woman to carry the word. Then if God and Jesus could entrust these women to carry and proclaim the word, then who am I to tell some woman that she can't preach the word? My tambourine is in my hand, but I'm going to spare you. Amen. Amen, brother. And that is that on that. And I know it's controversial, but at the end of the day, listeners, you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And what I will tell you is, is that you, here's the beauty of of God's word. It is a deep treasure. You can read it a hundred times and get a hundred things out of it every single time that you read it. And so if this is an area where you are struggling, where you are wrestling, then I encourage you to do exactly what Pastor Joel said. Pray and listen, discern and prepare your heart. (laughs) Okay. Uh, John said, I'm going to prepare the way of the Lord, prepare your heart so that when you hear what God has to say, that you are in a place to receive it. I think a lot of times we don't ask God because we don't want to hear the answers. So just make sure that you are in a place to be able to receive it. Now, Pastor Joel, before I let you get out of here, because you did mention that you and Dr. Naomi, oh, Dr. Naomi, y'all. So from the time that Dr. Na- Reverend Naomi was on this show, she has now become Dr. Naomi. So now it's doctors, Reverend Doctors Mitchell. So they are like tag team power couple. Please tell us where we can find you. And and you talked about working with couples. So where's the best place that people can find you and, and Reverend Naomi if they want to get help with their relationships or counseling or what have you? Well, first, I just want to say thank you for allowing me this time to come on and share. I think this is a a very powerful and impactful ministry that is needed for the people of God 
I know that you have an audience uh, for our sisters, but everyone needs to hear this word and hear this message uh, because you are talking about health and you're talking about wholeness and, and, and you're talking about this church hurt. And many times I'll just end with saying, you know, a lot of times it's perpetuated because people don't even realize and that, that they're, they're causing more harm than good. And so I thank you for ripping the lid off and for exposing, you know, the hurt where it comes from and how to be healed from it. Uh, it's definitely a work that is truly needed. And then for us, in terms of by way of contacting myself, Reverend Dr. Naomi Mitchell, you can reach us at The Marriage Investors, www.themarriageinvestors.com. That is our handle on all social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, www.themarriageinvestors.com on all of those uh, social media channels. And please free, feel free to reach out to us on social media or go to our website. Uh, you can shoot us a note and we would love to, to just share with you, share information about the resources that we provide. We help couples get a greater return on their investment. And I do through counseling, through coaching and, and just various trainings and activities. So thank you again. And we really, really, really appreciate the work that you're doing for the for the kingdom. Thank you so much. And so listeners, I will be sure to put that link in the show notes. They also have a great book that they wrote together called Shattered about uh, marriages and, and restoring some of the fractures that can happen in those relationships. So I'll be sure to include that as well. And if you guys have any questions, comments, takeaways, you know, you can hit me up at Dr. Shante Says. Don't forget that a week from today, we're going to be starting the Walking Well Church Hurt Recovery coaching experience and if your heart has been pricked uh in any point in this series and you just want to be able to stop walking wounded and really understand what it is to walk well then i encourage you to head to ready to believe.com or to drshante.com forward slash walking hyphen well and you'll get all the details about that and i will see you guys next time <laughs>